thank you. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience Week 11 Injury Report, Rankings Adjustment, DK Ownership, and Dr. Jesse Morse will be joining me a little bit later on to discuss some of the more longer-term injuries and how that sets you up for your fantasy playoffs moving forward. If you want to jump to that right now, I always suggest the time codes that tells you where everything is in the show. People complain that they're not there, but they are there. People just don't look for them. So you can adjust using the time codes. And if you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars. Easy ways to do so this week. Number one, smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. You tell me which player is going to be bad chalk on the DraftKings main slate in week 11. I use fansharesports.com to project out the ownership. Well, they project out the ownership. I use it as a guide when making some of my picks. Just because someone is chalky doesn't mean I'm not going to play them. But some guys, if it's a coin flip and one guy is 30% owned and the other guy is 5% owned, probably going to take my chances on the 5% guy. If you use the promo code PME at fansharesports.com, you get yourself a discount too. It's a great way to find out where people are thinking during the week. What stacks are they using? Where are the popular players? Thus, where are the pivot players for the week's going to come from? So that's always a tool that I like to use. So do that, and you're going to draw for 20 DK bucks, as you are if you subscribe and download the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. You leave yourself a five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you like about the show, boom, you'll be in that draw for 20 DK dollars. And if you hit the description of this podcast or video, you will find the link to the Pat Mayo Experience Week 11 DraftKings Open. 3,000 spots this week. There's no rake. $15 to play. $45,000 of guaranteed money. 1,000 spots still available. It would be strange not to fill the best tournament on DraftKings. So I suggest... You go do that now. Let's hop right into the running back injuries for the week. Uh, likely in right now, I have Darius Geis, Chris Thompson, David Montgomery, Jay Ajayi, who just recently signed with the Philadelphia Eagles, Jordan Howard, and Ty Johnson, who returned to practice on Friday, has cleared concussion protocol, and I've bumped him into the rankings, bumped down J.D. McKissick. You probably want nothing to do with that Lions backfield. Likely out, Gio Bernard. Still haven't heard really anything from Bengals camp about what he's actually up to. That could change, so always either hit the description and find the rankings. They'll be updated on Saturday and again on Sunday morning. Um, to find out where I put Joe Mixon in that mix, only because if Joe Mixon is playing all of the snaps against the Raiders and the ability to catch passes or just run the ball 30 times down 30 points like last week, there's the potential for a fantasy bonanza with Joe Mixon at $5,500 because no one would be playing him. And then we also have Jordan Wilkins likely to be out, Matt Breda likely to be out, and then officially out, Darren Sproles done for the year. Mike Davis just signed with the Panthers. He's not going to play. Devonta Freeman is out, and Chase Edmonds is out. I guess the big one to really focus on here, I originally really liked Jordan Howard at $4,700. Brian Hill with Devonta Freeman out likely to be the most popular play of the week at any position at $4,800. I'm good with fading Brian Hill. If I lose because Brian Hill ends up with a huge game, so be it. I know Carolina ranks 32nd in run DVOA. You can run on them, but although the spread is shrinking a little bit, it went from six to five and a half. It's now minus four for Carolina. I just see the passing game still being more prevalent 
more prevalent for the Falcons this week. Overusing Brian Hill, he does not catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. In fact, they still might use Kenyon Burner in that respect. And maybe the split is not as pronounced between the two as it was last week with Hill working primarily as the backup since Edo Smith has gone down and Burner just kind of being thrust onto the field with a week full of practice. He might end up with like 35% of the snaps here. If you're only getting 65% of the snaps with Brian Hill, you better hope he scores two touchdowns because he's not catching passes. Uh, it just seems like a good spot to fade. The problem with Jordan Howard is he's he's not cleared for contact yet. So Sproles goes on IR because of an injury sustained in practice this week. They signed Jay Ajayi off the streets. So I guess now you could almost look to Miles Sanders against the Patriots, but we've seen that he has not been a very effective runner between the tackles. And we don't know how much Ajayi is going to be used, even if he, well, he might not even be active. But let's say he is active. And Jordan Howard is also active, and he's a game-time decision. Like, what kind of, sort of trust do you have in any of these guys going into the week? It's very tough. I think that if Howard is active, he's still the guy I would want to play. Obviously, the floor is very, very low, but I still think that he handles the workload inside of the five-yard line and the potential rushing touchdown. Sanders is going to get involved in the passing game, but how much does he do on the ground? I don't know. If this season is any indication, the answer is, not much. He'll all have to come as a receiver. I probably would play him over Brian Hill because of the price discount, but you're still getting someone like Carlos Hyde, who no one is using in that same general price range on DraftKings. I don't love it, but at $4,600, I can see it. $4,100 for Sanders, especially if, well, I guess the big thing is that where this is a late game, there's only two late games that the late swap onto Miles Sanders is going to be somewhat difficult because we're probably not going to know about Jordan Howard until the 1 o'clock slate has already started. So it's a really tricky situation. Just have a backup in mind if you're relying on Jordan Howard. So you have Howard in your DraftKings line. You can always just pivot down to Miles Sanders if you really want to or find the you put him in your flex spot, obviously, because that's what you do for the late swaps, but find someone else in that general area. But it's just a really tricky situation. And the information isn't great, so we don't really know what to do with it. But if Jordan Howard plays, I'd play him as a low-end running back, too. That's sort of the, the gist about it. Uh, another thing here with Jordan Wilkins, as it pertains to this Colts game, Jacoby Brissett is going to play. And everyone really loved Marlon Mack last week, but they fell behind against the Dolphins, of all teams. And all of a sudden, Naheem Hines was on the field playing exactly the same amount of snaps as Marlon Mack. Now, there's still no T.Y. Hilton here, and Brissett is now back, and that's much better than having Brian Hoyer under center. But if Wilkins sits, and I know they're three-point favorites right now against Jackson. It might even be two-and-a-half if you go check it. But if they jump out to a lead in this game, we could get a bunch of Marlon Mack. And after he scorned everyone in his best matchup of the year a week ago, I feel like very few are going to use him this week. I can't put my finger on whether I really want to pull the trigger on him at his price point. There are other guys in his range that I like a little bit more, but I can definitely see it as a contrarian play. Right now, projected by FanshareSports.com, he's coming in at sub-4% ownership. And if they decide to run the ball, and I talked about Carolina's run defense being really porous, so is Jacksonville's. It's not good whatsoever. So Marlon Mack could be in store for a gigantic workload, and that's a piece of this game just no one is looking at. So keep that in mind moving forward. Uh, Chase Edmonds out. They've already said it's going to be a split between David Johnson and Kenyon Drake. Uh, compared to David Johnson last week when you're watching the game, he looked huge for one thing. He looked like a big dude, much bigger than you'd like picture David Johnson in your mind. But it's only because he was moving so slowly. He's $5,100. Kenyon Drake is 5400 Drake had a big game last time against the 49ers. That was with the role all to himself, but he's on the bigger end of the split. 
could be interesting to look at. I still prefer Mixon of anyone in this range, or even if you can get yourself up to Singletary, that's probably a decent play as well. But it's just a very interesting idea to use Drake over David Johnson. In my weekly rankings, I actually have Drake over Johnson. It wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden, if David Johnson is healthy, he gets all the work again, or even the goal line touches. But right now, it does seem like Kenyon Drake is the safer play with Johnson banged up and Chase Edmonds out. If we move to receiver right now, likely in, I have Didi, Nikhil Harry, Marquise Lee, Will Fuller, who's going to be a true game time decision, Tyler Boyd, Tim Patrick, and Josh Doxson for the Broncos and Vikings in that same game are both returning from injured reserve. I'm not saying to use them, but it's just interesting that they're back in the back in the mold now. Like Fred Brown isn't going to get much run for the Broncos with Tim Patrick back. It doesn't really affect your fantasy roster, but these guys shall return. Hollywood Brown, also a game-time decision with an ankle injury, but that's kind of been his MO all year. Probably not the best DraftKings play even against a weaker secondary with Houston, but I guess it's one of these things with Hollywood Brown where it just takes one. He's such a big play threat that even if he's only going to be out there for 55, 60, 65% of the snaps, it could be worth a gamble, but it really does lower his floor. So you're looking at potential huge boom or huge bust when it comes to Marquise Brown. Likely out, I have Devin Funchess. He probably isn't going to come back this week off the injured reserve from his collarbone. And Emmanuel Sanders did not practice on Friday, but where he's a veteran, he could go this week against Arizona. Again, late game, it makes it more difficult to punch him into your lineup. So have a backup plan in place for Emmanuel Sanders and maybe just pick up Debo Samuel or Marquise Goodwin and just kind of go that way with it potentially Andy Isabella in that game as well but it's not looking like he's going to play stranger things have happened though but we're not going to know until the late games and that makes the decision just that much more difficult so I've left him out of the rankings for now officially out Brandon Cooks T.Y. Hilton A.J. Green Adam Thielen Pally Gambu Deshaun Jackson, Paul Richardson is out in a really good opportunity against the Jets. Bummer for him. And Elshon Jeffrey will not play against the Patriots. That leaves Nelson Aguilar, Mac Hollins, and Jordan Matthews, along with Goddard and Ertz on the inside up the seams at tight end as the passing game. So maybe Miles Sanders does make some more sense if they actually do need to throw the ball with shorter dot throws. I mean, that's basically everyone on the Eagles except for Mac Hollins, who they'll take some shots with. But the joke right now is on the Patriots. You have this amazing and secondary oh we're gonna key on Alshon we'll take him out we'll key on Ertz take him out it's basically just let's shut down Ertz and Goddard and let's uh, let the rest of these jabronis beat us that's probably not gonna happen I still pick the Eagles to cover but that's just gonna be a no bet for me just the public loves the Patriots so much the line hasn't adjusted something seems up in that game uh, the bigger thing that I like if you go to the other side of the ball and you do play it It does seem like no one is using Tom Brady this week. Brady and Edelman, potentially even Ben Watson, if Izzo and Lacoste sit again. Uh, Tight ends just really devoid of top-end talent, especially at different price points on DraftKings this week. So that could be something to look at. I do like Brady even if you play him by himself. And when I talked about someone like Mixon and guys in that range along with Brian Hill, James White is right there. It's really difficult to run against the Eagles. Their front seven is still very stout up the middle. That would lead me to believe it's less of a Sony Michelle and Rex Burkhead affair, more of a James White thing. And you need them to get into the end zone. And that's always the problem with the Patriots is who do you pick to find it? It could be Brandon Bolden of all people. Some guy you've never heard of. Oh, Jacoby Myers. He's the fifth string wide receiver. And now he scores three touchdowns. It's just one of those things when it comes down to the Phillies pass defense sucks. So Tom Brady's in a really nice spot here coming off a of bye week. He should be fresh if nothing else. Let's take a quick 
quick break because I need to tell you, in case you didn't know, the Showtime sports documentary film Pariah, The Lives and Deaths of Sonny Liston, chronicles the tragic life and suspicious death of perhaps the most vilified and misunderstood boxer of all time, Sonny Liston. Tune in Friday, November 15th at 9 p.m. on Showtime. Back to the show. Quarterbacks, it's super easy. Jacoby Brissett is in. He'll be back under center instead of Brian Hoyer for the Colts. Matt Stafford will miss his second consecutive week with bones broken in his back. Probably didn't think he was going to play this week, and he's not because he has a broken back. Uh, I don't know if we'll see him again this season. Uh, Jeff Driscoll will start, who's kind of enticing on DraftKings. He's so cheap. He runs the ball. He can at least provide you with the floor. And if you do want to play the Michael Thomases and Christian McCaffrey's of the world and really pay up at receiver and running back, Jeff Driscoll is someone that you can potentially squeeze into your lineup. Him or Ryan Finley against Oakland, both are going to rush the ball. And if they can score a rushing touchdown or they're just playing garbage time a lot in these games, then it's a potential upside play for a very cheap price. The world is going to Kyle Allen against the Falcons. I actually like those other two better as DraftKings plays. No one's using them. In comparison, Kyle Allen will at least be projected to be the highest-owned quarterback. It's an interesting pivot play. Uh, We just know quarterback is so flat, so random, and depends on touchdowns anyway that you might as well go with those guys at you know 120th of the ownership uh, they're going to outscore Kyle Allen more often than you know one in 20 times it's probably like I don't know six and 20 times something like that which makes it a good pivot play that's how you're supposed to look at these things tight end this is a real problem here Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby for the Rams both projected to be in, as in, as is Dawson Knox for the Bills with his knee likely out George Kittle Jeff Hearman and Matt Lacoste officially out Austin Hooper, Chris Herndon, Adam Sheehan, Trey Burton, and Vernon Davis all officially out. This is really tough. Ross Dwelly for the 49ers becomes kind of interesting here. Because if you look at the very top of the board, you know, two of the top three priced options on DraftKings are probably not going to play. That's going to lead a lot of people to Andrews and Waller, potentially Ertz. Jared Cook projects to be the highest owned tight end on this slate, but not drawing a ton of ownership, like 13%. You could go to the touchdown prowess of Darren Fells. Greg Olson's like the one guy on Carolina no one's using this week. Fant. Uh, especially, again, where Deshaun Hamilton hasn't really taken a step. He does seem to be a favorite of Brandon Allen in a game where they're playing catch-up. But just looking at Dwelly at $3,400, and you play flowchart against the Cardinals. They're bad against tight ends. He was highly involved in that Monday night game against the Seahawks. $3,400. You could do worse. Everyone's using Eric Ebron. I completely understand it. He ran a season high in routes last year or last week. Jacoby Brissett is back. This is all good news on that front. And maybe you think that New England tries to take away Zach Ertz that allows Dallas Goddard but Dwelly does seem to be shaping up at $3,400 to be a guy if you really want to take like a leap of faith and you think that points are actually going to be scored in the Giants not Giants Jets and Redskins game maybe Ryan Griffin with Herndon out is a capable red zone target that you could back your way into a touchdown or two it's happened before could happen again but Dwelly and Ebron would probably be my two favorites along with Fant from down in that range if we talk about draft, actually, and Marshawn Lattimore is going to be out for the Saints, by the way. Everyone's loading up on Saints. Everyone's loading up on Panthers and even Falcons in the running game. No one's really using a bunch of Tampa Bay players. I mean, if Lattimore's not there, it's great news for Mike Evans, who's projected to be like 6% ownership this week. This week, No Jameis, no Evans in people's roster. It's been pretty good to people trying to win some DraftKings bucks here over the past few weeks. I had mentioned before, if you go to fansharesports.com and use promo code PME, 
get yourself a membership there and track it. If we look at the positions right now at running back, I talked about Brian Hill in that Carolina game. He's pushing around 30% ownership at running back, which just seems silly. I completely understand it. He's a great price. And maybe if Jordan Howard is ruled out, people will move on to Miles Sanders, and that will free up some of the ownership. I don't know. But that's still pretty good. Uh, Brian Hill, $4,800. That's a good fade for me. I've talked about the other options there. Other guys projected above 20%, Josh Jacobs and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, At wide receiver, the top two projected ownership, both DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. Uh, So it's not shocking that Kyle Allen is also the highest projected owned quarterback. The only other receiver right now pushing over 15% is Michael Thomas. I think my favorite pivot play of the week is going to be Terry McLaurin. Uh, Right in that $6,000 range, people are terrified to click on old score and McLaurin because Dwayne Haskins is at quarterback, but no Paul Richardson, no Vernon Davis. I get it's Dwayne Haskins, but this Jets pass defense is fucking pathetic. So you might as well fire him up. We know he's a big play guy. No one's going to touch him. He is what I talked about, like boomer bust as it pertains to Hollywood Brown in this matchup. Something you can look at instead of him. You can just go to Terry McLaurin, who's going to play 100% of the snaps for the Skins this week. So that'd be my preferred play. The other one, too, with Will Fuller being a game-time decision, you would expect the Texans and Ravens game to be somewhat high-scoring. If he doesn't play, Kenny Stills is still a pretty decent price, and we've seen him been utilized in the passing game, at least in terms of market share when Will Fuller is out. So that's another name to keep on your radar just in case Fuller is declared out last second. I'll be doing my morning show with Custom Gary at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time on the DraftKings YouTube channel and my Facebook page at the, at the PME. So we'll be able to react to this stuff in real time and try to really hammer down on who are the best plays from that range. My DraftKings cheat sheet is actually up on DKPlaybook.com right now too that you can go check it out. The other receivers you could potentially squeeze in at a cheaper price with no Austin Hooper and everyone kind of gravitating towards that Carolina and Panthers game. I get that, but Russell Gage, once again, he's super cheap. Uh, He's going to patrol the slot. He's going to run up the seams. If that's a spot where you think the Carolina is weak, maybe you think somehow Keekly ends up on him. That would be devastating news, but it seems like Ridley's going under own, Gage is going under own, and Julio is not going to be as popular as I once thought. Everyone just wants the other side of that game. Sometimes it's best to look at as a pivot play instead of just who's the guy right next to the very popular guy. Just go with the opposite stack in the same game where you expect a lot of points to be scored. And frankly, that could just be the move here. Hunter Renfro, also super cheap, uh, and a low-owned portion of that Bengals and Raiders game that everyone seems to want a piece piece of as well. Uh, The other two high-projected-owned quarterbacks this week, along with Kyle Allen, although it's relatively flat. Like, I only have 11% for Kyle Allen right now. Drew Brees and Lamar Jackson makes a lot of sense. They're the two highest ones right now uh, in terms of pricing, and they'll probably be super highly owned in these spots. At tight end, I mentioned Jared Cook projects to be the highest-owned tight end. Darren Waller and Eric Ebron Mark Andrews are the other ones garnering ownership. No one is really spiking, though, so I wouldn't worry about ownership there. And at defense, Saints, Patriots, and Cardinals project to be the top three in the DraftKings Millionaire Maker in Week 11. Shifting very quickly to the betting board right now, I did my entire show with Jeff and Cust. Uh, I'm kind of spooked a little bit by the Carolina game, where it's just the line has been moving towards the Falcons. I still like the Panthers minus four here, but the majority of the money is actually coming in on, well, most most people are betting 
the Panthers, the most money is coming in on the Falcons, and that worries me a little bit. The two big games that I see where both people are picking them publicly and betting them publicly, but the line is moving the other way. Jets, uh, still the most publicly backside of any game this week. It opened at one and a half. It's now two and a half for the Skins. People can't quite fathom how the Skins actually win this game and cover the two and a half points, but... Vegas is making a stand and telling you that they like the skins here. And we did this last week at the Browns and Bears. It was a win and it was a push. Those are the two big bets. I'm going to like the skins as well as the Broncos. Everyone's betting the Vikings to cover big at home, which makes complete sense. But the line is moving towards the Denver Broncos in this spot. If their defense can show up a little bit, no Adam Thielen in this game. Maybe it all finally catches up to Minnesota, coming off a huge primetime win against the Cowboys. And people just want to back Kirk Cousins now. And if we know anything about Kirk Cousins, yes, the Vikings are good at home. And he does tend to beat up on bad teams, but he can lay a stinker with the best of them. I mean, we saw them not cover against the Redskins on a Thursday night three weeks ago. And Denver's a significantly better team with different avenues to both score on big plays with Cortland Sutton to drain the clock with the running backs and a defense that can just get to the quarterback. They can just limit Delvin Cook just a little bit, just a smidge. It's going to be a very close game. Ten and a half is just too many points, uh, at least for me. So I'll be taking the Broncos in that matchup. But that was your injury report. All the rankings are updated right now on DKPlaybook.com. You can check that out in the description of this video and podcast. And fire up some doctor news coming up. Long-term injuries with Dr. Jesse Morse right after this. Welcome back to the show. Now, jumping on the line to break down some of the more long-term injuries that you're going to face throughout the fantasy football playoffs. And he helped even before that, even for next week at this point. Dr. Jesse Morse, at Dr. Jesse Morse on Twitter from thefantasydoctors.com. What is going on, my man? Ready to talk some injuries? I am. I'm trying to... uh compile this ridiculous list i feel like there's like 60 people on it right now it's just insane have you noticed a like higher degree of injuries this season versus others or is it just sticking in our head because this week in particular is so bad Uh, i think one of the things that i'm surprised to see this late in the season is hamstring injuries traditionally we don't usually see them this late in the year because usually guys are warm i mean chris herndon was a little bit of a unique thing because he came back but like Usually guys don't, they don't get them this late in the year. And then like, there's just so many injuries. It's ridiculous. So let's talk about some guys from the Thursday night game. I, and I don't know how like the league actually handles this, but James Connor is now in a situation where he was taken off the injury report, played on Thursday night, re-aggravated the same shoulder in the AC joint that had been the problem why he missed the previous two weeks, and then says after the game, oh, yeah, I could barely feel my shoulder. Shouldn't they have to keep him on the injury report if the guy's actually still hurt? Yeah, that's the issue is that they don't – there's not – it's a very fine line from what I understand is that they can choose to put him on their injury report, but they can also choose not to. So when you see someone that's not injury report, but they were injured three days ago, they're not better. Like they're not all of a sudden healed. So it's like, they should probably be on the injury report, but they may choose to get, take them off it. But that's more of a formality. I, I I've been telling people for th- two or three weeks that if this was a mild shoulder sprain, he would have been back in like one week. So this had to have been at least a grade two or grade three. Uh, after grade three, they, they all are surgical. Um, so, but these don't heal quickly. Like a lot of the times these are six week injuries. So he came at what at three weeks, maybe. 
So, and then you, this is literally the entire top part of the shoulder. What do you use to hit people? The top part of your shoulder. So it's like, of course he left early. Did you expect him to stay in the game if this thing wasn't even partially or, or three quarters of the way healed? Uh, this is a very painful injury. And I would not be surprised if he can't go for like a month, like a, like a legit month. I mean, they may bring him back early like you saw now, but we saw that with, with Leonard Fournette last year where they brought him back early or semi-early and he restrained it and then he was out for uh, even longer. So they have to be smarter with their key, with their key players. And they're in a situation now where I guess still they're in the playoff hunt, but by the time he gets back, they could be out of it, especially if they lose to Cleveland again in two weeks. That what would be even the point of bringing him back then? Yeah, I mean, and same thing with like with carry on when we saw, I mean, probably he could be healthy enough to come back now, but for what? A team that's not playing in the playoffs? I mean, yeah, you could accumulate stats. Technically, you're getting paid for it, but they usually they just don't do it. Uh, and, and the same goes with some other guys like Ingram, um, Kittle, not Kittle, uh, Hooper. Um, if a lot of these teams aren't in the playoffs, are you going to risk this guy having a potential, you know, year long injury because you want him to play in a game or two? So for, the, that doesn't translate, you know, to any. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes perfect. I think it's actually wise of the NFL teams to keep their anyone who projects to be a part of their future, uh, keeping them healthy going into next year when you're already out of it, makes a lot of logical sense to me. Although sometimes the NFL does lack a little bit of logic, like playing a guy who can't move his shoulder and then watching him get re-injured. Big shocker on that one. With the Steelers, they also lose Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster to concussions. This is the second concussion, at least registered concussion, for Juju. He sustained another missed time back in 2017. Would you expect either one of these guys to miss time or as it is with concussions, they could be fine tomorrow. They could be fine eight weeks from now. So um, I've taken care of a decent amount of concussions to tell you that about 70% of them that are sports concussions resolve within seven to 10 days. Pediatrics take a little bit longer. Um, so everyone is a little different though. Most common symptoms, throbbing headache, uh, balance issues, uh, kind of wavering emotions. Um, some people have sleep issues. Most people are able to get back by that seven day deadline. He has a, a little extra couple of days because of the Thursday night game. Um, but they are at increased risk for another one. Uh, I want to say it's about 90 days. If I look, if I remember the data correctly. So that's when you think of guys like Brandon cooks, uh, or, um, Sterling Shepard who suffered another one in, in short order. And now they're like, ah, well, you need to be basically put on ice because it's you're risky to return. So, um, and then you have a bunch of guys that go back and don't get another one for many months or, 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 you know, a year or two later or whatever. So mo I think both will probably be back by week, what, 12 are we at? But, um, everyone's a little different. So it just it depends. It's a five day protocol. Uh, each, uh, step has to be a different day. So you have to complete today's step with no symptoms in order to progress to tomorrow's step. If you have symptoms uh, today, you have to stop, wait 24 hours, and then restart that step again. So it could take five days. It could be eight weeks, uh, like Jordan Reed or someone like that. So the other injuries we're dealing with now under center, Jacoby Brissett is going to return for the Colts this week and replace Brian Hoyer. What level of effectiveness do you think that he can be at here? So uh, MCL sprain is uh, detrimental to running backs and 
uh, particularly wide receivers and running backs um, on offense. Uh, tight ends do okay, um, and, and, and quarterbacks usually do decent. Uh, the mobile ones aren't as mobile. Think of Patrick Mahomes, even though it was a high ankle, similar on the season where you know you just could tell he didn't want to go anywhere. Like he was very restricted, but he could throw the ball. So that's kind of what Brissett will be. This MCL is not 100%. He will definitely wear a brace, um, and he will be limited, but they, they just need him to be able to move a little bit to hit targets down the field. They don't, want, they don't need him to be a runner. Um, so I think he will be limited, but from a mobility perspective, so much as, as not uh, from an arm, obviously, perspective. So when we think about the Lions, you already mentioned that Carrion could be in a situation where he could have come back by this point if he wasn't designatedly put on the IR, but the Lions are essentially out of it. Stafford's mm-hmm. dealing with broken bones in his back, it sounds like. like. Why would they even think about risking him again this year? Yeah, I mean, and, 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 so we don't know the details of the exact fracture. I wish we did, but it is what it is. What we do know is that he has at least one fracture in the back. They did say multiple, so you'd think it's at least two. Um, there's two types of fractures in the back that would allow him to even potentially consider playing a game. One is called the transverse process, which is what Tony Romo had, which is what Derek Carr had a couple years ago. Um, the other one is a compression fracture, which is kind of like squeezing the, the disc up and down. Um, transverse process is more of a pain tolerance. They usually come back in a couple of weeks. That's more than likely what he had. If he has a compression fracture, that is very risky for his body, like not just playing, but his body. Uh, and he would probably be shut down for the year. They're not really playing for anything. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they just said, all right, we're going to shut him down and get him healthy because they pay him a lot of money, you know. Uh, Will Fuller is expected back. Well, at least he's a game-time decision against the Ravens this week. It's a big game for the Texans, so they might try to force him back yeah. out there. He's been out since week seven with this hamstring problem, and the fact that he's still 50-50, even coming off of a bye week, didn't travel to London with the team. So he's had ample time to let this recover, but this is still Will Fuller. He constantly pulls his mm-hmm. hamstring you talk about some players get warm throughout the course of the season therefore it's hard to pull your hamstring well Wolf fuller right. pulls his hamstring every three weeks so he's off then he comes back he pulls it maybe stop running so fast maybe that's a key here but if he plays like can you trust him to get through the game i feel like this is one of those where i'd probably only do him uh, consider playing him in dfs like or like a like a flex like a really deep league I can't like as my wide receiver one, two or three, and you have better options. You, you just can't trust him. He's had what one good game and the rest were like, eh, or he was injured. So, and he did this last year, he was injured. So like, we know when he puts it together, he's a monster, but that's so rare um, that, and he's such a, a high risk candidate um, that all it takes is one tweak again. And he's done for the game and probably, you know, several weeks again. So, if it was up to me, I'm probably going to wait a week just to see if he can get acclimated and comfortable. This offense needs him. He needs to stretch the field. And Deshaun, it will help a lot, but I just don't trust him yet. Uh, Jordan Howard's dealing with a stinger. He was not cleared for contact most of the week, returned to practice on a limited basis on Friday. So he is straight up questionable. The problem is he plays in the late game, 
with mm-hmm. the Patriots and there's nine one o'clock games and two four o'clock games. The options are not ample if you're waiting and holding your breath for Jordan Howard and all of a sudden he's an inactive. There are just a lot of there are so few people to go to on, on DraftKings. Yep. You can pay down and just use Miles Sanders. That's not the end of the world. But what mm-hmm. is a stinger exactly? So a stinger is in, uh, usually a, a hyperextension injury of the shoulder. So think of my shoulder getting kind of pulled down and the, the nerve gets stretched. So when that happens, um, you have immediate complete loss and feeling usually of the entire upper extremity. It could be either. Um, and it, it can be anywhere from five seconds to an entire day. Um, Anything longer than a day is concerning. Um, a stinger uh, usually will heal on its own once the uh, nerve kind of calms down, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Um, a lot of the times these guys will get MRIs of their spine to make sure there is no abnormalities in there. If anyone ever has a bilateral stinger, meaning both upper extremities at once, they are automatically ruled out until further notice. Um Stingers aren't overly concerning, but most people say if they have three in the course of a year, uh, they have a tendency to not allow them to play again. So would you think that Howard ends up going on Sunday? No. I mean, that would, and, make, and, and, that would make a lot of sense with the Eagles signing Jay as well. I mean, they, they, I'm a Patriots fan, and this is a great matchup for them. The Patriots have been struggled on, on, against the run, but... I don't think he plays. Um, it, all it takes is one tweak and he can do this again. And, and think this, you've probably seen this live and you just didn't realize it. When you see a guy who like his arm is like limp, like you can't even pick it up even if you wanted to. And you're like, what is this dude doing? That's what happens. It's, you have no control over the arm at, at all. And, and he's at increased risk, especially since it's Friday and they haven't cleared him yet, which means he's still having some lingering effects in that puts him at high risk in two days, basically. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is going to be a true game time decision as well. Again, in the late game. So hard to hold out hope. I've ranked him down in my rankings because we're just not going to know unless news change. And they're like, yeah, he's very promising. Emmanuel Sanders, he's going to play. I'll move him up in the rankings. But right now I have him out of them uh, just because I'm not waiting around to find out if old man Emmanuel Sanders is going to play or not. Mm-hmm. I get the upside is there. But is this a pain mm-hmm. tolerance thing with his ribs? So, um, first of all, they really need him. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I don't think they're going to have him. So, um, this sounds like he did not suffer a rib fracture, which inherently is ridiculously painful. But and instead, in between each rib is cartilage. That's where the nerve runs. So, it sounds like he strained uh, or damaged some of that cartilage. So, uh, that in itself is painful. But the problem is, the ribs are there to protect the lung. So um, if you uh, expand your lung, meaning you deep take a deep breath, you're stretching that cartilage. And that is very, very painful, almost like sharp stabbing in your lung. So uh, that's very painful. A flak jacket just doesn't seem to, it, it doesn't do anything but a pain. It just prevents a further injury or a new, you know, you know, a new hit. So you can lidocaine block these, but you got to be careful here. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's definitely out this week um, as much as they need him. 
Yeah, so Breda's going to be out. George Kittle is going to be out as well. We know it's the ankle with Breda. He's got something new every single week. So I wouldn't even worry about him one to two weeks, and he'll probably come back a week early. No one will play him. He'll go off because that's what he always does when it looks like he's not going to play. And then people get really jazzed about him when he's healthy, and he'll do nothing because that is the Matt Breda MO. But with Kittle, like, do we know how long he's going to be out for? Like, are they now thinking, hey – if we're going to make a serious Super Bowl run here, we want to have George Kittle as healthy as possible. So they might even keep him out longer than they need just to make sure that he's 100%. Yeah. So um, when they reported this today, it was yesterday or today, um, they said it was also his ankle. So it's the first time I've heard ankle, but um, he took a shot directly to right below the knee. So proximal tibia. And he must have a ginormous bone bruise in there. And these are really painful. Uh, there's really not much you can do for them. Um, it's, this is just strictly a pain tolerance thing. And he just, he's miserable right now. They're trying everything they can do to, to calm down that inflammation, calm down that swelling. Um, but I, I just, he's probably so miserable w- with a combination of a knee sprain uh, and this significant bone bruise that he just, he can't, he can't even fathom running routes right now. So with each week it will get better and he'll get to a point where he'd be like, yeah, I think I can go, but he's probably going to have to practice like two, at least two days that week to you feel comfortable. Yeah. He's probably going to play. Um, unfortunately, and I think it's smart of them since they're playing so well to, to be smart with him, because if not, you may lose him. Uh, for even longer or for the rest of the year. And that would be silly because he would be a big detriment to, to your team if you lose him. Uh, final stuff, just because I'm seeing updates come across my screen right now. Dante Pettis for the 49ers has a back problem. He's now questionable. Raheem Mostert, who was going to take Matt Breda's place behind Tevin Coleman, is now dealing with a knee injury. He is questionable <laughs> as well. I like At this point, the, the 49ers just might throw in the towel here for week 11 and move on to week 12. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I knew that I knew that Mustard had been dealing with, a, I think it was a quad. Um, I didn't haven't seen the knee thing yet. Um, this may be a Jeff Wilson game. No fun. And if you look, at, <laughs> you know, if you look at the data, I mean, like he, the guy is like a red zone monster. Um, I like Mustard. You saw him; he was in there in, in overtime. Like he was in the game when Brita should have been in there. Um, they, it's obvious they don't want to give full timeshare to Tevin Coleman. He's not a workload back. So somebody else is going to get the touches. If Mostert plays, I like him. I don't mind him, but I would not be surprised if, if, if Wilson got at least a, uh, a bunch of touches and maybe a touchdown. Yeah. So this will be the fun part, Bray. It'll be like 60% Coleman, 38% Breda. Jeff Wilson will touch the ball twice for two touchdowns, rendering them all (laughs) useless and screwing all of your lineups up. It's like, it's like Aaron Jones scoring three touchdowns on 13 carries. You're like, come on, man. Like that's not sustainable, but he keeps doing it every single time. Uh, And in the passing game, like obviously Debo Samuel is the one you should probably be targeting, but Kendrick Bourne is a legitimate option here. If Samuel's on the outside, they sacrifice him to Patrick Peters and Bourne was a red zone option. Almost in the vein of, I mean, Ross Dwelly as well, taking over mm-hmm. for Kittle. But even running those red zone routes, it does seem like Kendrick Bourne is at least a big body they can use in the red zone. Yeah, I just feel, I watched the game the other day. I'm like, if Sanders was winning, it was in this game, I think they would have won because there were some stone hands out there. Like they were, Jimmy G was hitting them in the hands and they were just, it was just, it was like, boom, and just falling. I'm like, you got to catch that. Come on. 
So it's like, as much as we've seen Bourne get touchdowns and get looks, I mean, how much confidence do you really have in him? I don't know. I mean, it all depends on price point and who I want to jam into my lineups, I guess. But it wasn't just the Niners offensive players who had stone hands. Jimmy G was actually throwing it to the other team, too, and they couldn't get it. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> so, very true. I think it had something to do with the comment he made uh, the, the previous week to, to a reporter. So it works both ways when it comes to the old stone hands for the Niners and the Seahawks. Dr. Jesse Morris, where can everyone catch you? You talked about Sunday morning, and obviously mm-hmm. these injury updates are so imperative. Where, they can, where can they find everything in your live stream? Yeah, so um, you can find it uh, if you're on Twitter at Dr. Jesse Morse. Um, on uh, the Instagram, we are at The Fantasy Doctors. Um, and on uh, YouTube, you can just search for us. There's a ton of videos up there uh, in, in our own podcast that dropped uh, last night. On Sunday mornings, I do a live stream at 1130 on The Fantasy Doctors podcast where you can ask questions and we review pretty much every injury and whether or not they're going to play. Um, and that's probably the best way to find uh, the most updated information. Uh, and, and I'll interact with you at the same time if you have any questions. Well, that sounds like a good compliment. The Pat Mayo Experience is live at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Also available on demand after the fact on iTunes, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you download your podcast. You can find it up there on demand. Free of charge, as always. Go download that as soon as it's up, just like you do with this show. But maybe you want to sneak over and check out the Fantasy Doctors afterwards, after the actives and inactives come out, because we'll be off the air by then. We can get, get the clicks around for everyone. So thank you for being on the line. Follow Jesse on Twitter at dr jesse morse like you mentioned you can follow me at the pme twitter instagram facebook and if you want to get into a draw for 20 dk dollars smash the like button for the episode leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section you tell me which player in the millionaire maker this week for week 11 on DraftKings is bad chalk you're gonna full out fade also subscribe to the pat mayo experience audio podcast leave a five-star review DraftKings handle something nice about the show and you too will be in that draw for 20 dk bucks don't be afraid to play in the pat mayo experience DraftKings open 15 dollars to play no rake three max entry forty five thousand dollars of guaranteed money in the prize pool you can find the link in the description of this video or podcast i'm pat mayo check out my updated rankings on dkplaybook.com over the weekend and until sunday morning when i'm here with gary and cust I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!